I want to talk to you today. I, got, I kind of got, you know, told like, man, what the heck did you do last week? You know, I had our brother up here for like 30 minutes just holding the sign, um, lust of the flesh. And everyone was like, that poor guy, he was just standing up there. And Elias, forgive me for that, but I'm sure he didn't mind. So today we're going to stay away from the papers. Next week we'll bring them back to you. But today I want to talk to you about road number two, which is the lust of the eyes. And um, as I was getting ready, this message was already prepared because last week I was supposed to get into it. But the truth is the Lord took the service to a whole, in a whole different way. As I started to pray and, and really think about today's service, the Lord really changed the sermon around again. And he really made me go to a, through a different route. And he twisted it up a little bit to what I had planned. And I pray that today there is someone here and there's a reason why God did twist what I had. And he changed it around to speak to your heart. And I pray that you are blessed today. So let's get into the word today. The lust of the eyes. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the lust of the flesh. And the word lust, we talked in the Greek, the epithomial, the word, it means a longing a desire or to lust after something, especially that which is what? Forbidden. So we're going to talk about this lust and we're going to break it down in the lust of the eyes. And the Greek word there for the eyes, the lust of the eyes is ophalmos. Now watch what it means. It means envy to look at with a jealous eye. And when it talks about it, it really is speaking about committing covetousness. So today as we speak about the lust of the eyes and we're praying for deliverance in every area of our life, we can't forget that a main part that needs to get delivered is this right here. Everyone just touch your eye. Yeah, that right there. This needs to get delivered. My mind, my thoughts, my heart, my emotions, my feelings, and the way I look at things, the way I process stuff, my eyes being filled with covetousness. You know, when you read scripture and you read in Exodus chapter 18 and it reads it in verse 21, it's an awesome scripture because the children of Israel are all out of whack and they had one leader. What was the leader's name of the children of Israel in Exodus? Church? Moses. And as Moses was leading the children of Israel, it was too much. He was getting burdened with the ministry and the people next to him saw that he was being burdened and they said, Moses you got to put leaders in positions that are going to help you, help you lead and help take off the burden, take off the weight from your shoulders. So Moses begins to call out leaders and raise up leaders in the midst of the tribes and the children of Israel. And look at how Exodus chapter 18 verse 21 describes how Moses appoints them. Ready? It says, then Moses... He selects from all the people, able men, men who what? Fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. There it is, the lust of the eyes. And look what it says. Place these men over to be rulers. Now watch. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and then rulers of tens. So in this group, each one of these men... Had, some had bigger responsibilities, some had not so big, some had smaller responsibilities. And as he breaks down the men that had to have responsibilities, he tells them, make sure they're able men that fear God, 
men of truth, and men who do not have the lust of the eye. So here's Moses leading a people, and God tells them, these are the characteristics. It's kind of like in the New Testament when the apostles needed to correct, um, call up the elders and the deacons, men with awesome reputation, and it breaks down what their qualifications were to be. Well, here it is again in the Old Testament. God, Moses, giving the qualifications of men that are called to lead. Now, as we look at the lust of the eyes today, know this, that all of us here today, if you call yourself a Christian, you are put in a position to lead and to rule. The Bible says in the end times, especially when you start reading Revelation and you look at the millennial reign after the tribulation is over, do you know that you and I, if we are the church and we are the ones that are up with Christ Jesus, the new Jerusalem, and we're there, we will rule over the saints and we will rule over angels. That is powerful. I can't wait. I was talking to some of the brothers the other day. Imagine that. Hey, Gabriel, Michael, where's my cup of tea? That's crazy. We're going to be ruling over angels, ruling over men. But we need to get delivered from the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is very important to get free from this. Because in order to lust after something in the flesh, like we talked about last week, guess what? You must first what? See it. So if what you're looking at and how you look at it, if it's perverted, if it's wrong, if it's ungodly, then the flesh will begin to manifest that. We see it in Genesis 3, and Phil spoke about this about a month ago when he talked about Eve up here. And we saw the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says that Eve saw that the tree was good for what? Food. It was pleasing to her eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit, she ate it, and then she gave it to the what? To the husband to eat it, and he ate it, and you know the rest of the story. But the reason why I want to talk about this today is because when we talk about deliverance, we know, we talked about it the first week that we started to introduce this subject. We have an enemy. We have principalities and powers that build strongholds that bring us bondage. Remember that, right? First week. We have an enemy that will bring things before your eyes, bring things before my eyes. Now catch this. It will try to cause us to get our eyes fixed on that thing. And then the flesh will begin to desire it, and then the struggle begins. Think about it. If you did not have eyes, half the struggles that you have, you probably wouldn't have. But because you have eyes, you see, and it looks good, and it looks pleasing, and it looks desirable. So your flesh desires what your eyes look at. In 2 Samuel 11, it talks about David and King David, he was the king over Israel, and he's hanging out in his balcony one day out of his window, and he's looking down, and guess what he sees? A beautiful woman by the name of Bathsheba, and we know the story. She's taking a shower, and he goes, hmm, my goodness, she looks good. And he begins to check out Bathsheba, and he begins to look at her with the lust of the eyes. And if you study scripture, you'll realize that David looked at her with lustful eyes. And the looking at her with lustful eyes eventually led for him to lust over her with his what? Flesh. He takes her into the palace. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. Notice the flesh. He murders her husband. And now he finds himself living in hell 
here on earth. All because of the lust of the eyes. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, the lust of the eyes. And maybe today you feel like, man, I'm just living in hell. Regal, man, I'm living in hell. I can't find victory. I can't find success. I continue to struggle over the same things. I'm never going to make it out. I don't find myself living the way God wants me to live. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, I just need help already. We heard Jared's testimony. He said, I needed help. I needed freedom from drugs, from the cocaine, from crack. I needed drugs from the marijuana. And then the Lord frees him. And he said, I need help from my cigarettes. And the Lord frees him from that. It is a constant growth that you and I go, to, go through. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I just need help. I want to read a scripture to you. And it's Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. And as Paul is writing this letter, and in this verse, look what he says. He says, put to death your members. Kill them. Destroy your members. Now, what are your members that are on earth? Say it with me. Number one, fornication. Do away with it. Destroy fornication. Get rid of it. Number two, uncleanness. To be unclean, destroy it. Get rid of it. Number three, passion. Come on, church. Number four, evil desire. And number five, covetedness. But look what he says after that. Covet, to covet is what? Idolatry. When we talk about the lust of the eyes, we're talking about covetousness. To covet over something. And when we covet over something, scripture is clear, it's idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? And this is where the Lord just started to shake me all around last night. Idolatry is the religious worship of idols. And maybe you're not worshiping an idol, but watch this. An idol is any image or any material object that represents a deity which religious worship begins to occur. Maybe you don't have this golden cow on top of your dresser. And you begin to worship it and say a prayer to it and light up a candle and throw a fruit under it. Maybe you don't do that. But maybe you look at a mirror and you get dressed in the morning and the idol that you idolize is you. Maybe it's the person that when you wake up in the morning and you look at the person next to you in the bed. Maybe that spouse or that boyfriend or girlfriend who you shouldn't even be in the bed with in the first place. Maybe that's who you're idolizing. Oh. Maybe it's the children that wake you up early in the morning. Mom, where's my cereal? And I'm not saying to stop loving your children, but be careful what you idolize and you place a God over your life. In dictionary.com, when you break down idol, look what it says. A figment of the mind, a fantasy. See, when we begin to live out in the flesh, rather than living out in the spirit, we see ourselves falling and committing into idolatry. Meaning this, that the manifestations of the flesh life are more evident than the manifestations, or let's change that word, <coughs> the fruitfulness of the spirit life. It is more evident when you begin to function in the flesh, it begins to overpower the spiritual life. And it leaves us more concerned about me and how we feel. And how our needs are to be met or how our desires are going to be answered. And it puts us in a dangerous place because what does the Lord think about all that? 
we lift ourselves up and we elevate ourselves and we begin to make ourselves more important. We're more concerned with me and what I'm going to get out of it. And what is in the best interest for me? Never thinking about him, the Lord, and what is he going to think about it? What is he going to get out of it? And what's in the best interest of God? I want you to actually try to discipline your life to think like that. When you get a phone call, when you get a text, when you put on your TV, when you go out with friends, whatever it is that you do, when you go to work, when you get in a conversation, say this to yourself. How does this interest God? How does God benefit for where I'm at? How does God benefit from what I'm doing? Sin. When we commit sin, I'll prove it to you. Here we go. It's nothing but idolatry. Why? Did God call you to sin? Yes or no? No. Never did God say, hey, I really want you to sin good today. All right, God, no problem. I'll do it good. I'll do it ten times. I really want you to get the nastiest sin and really do it well, like master that sin. Hey, God, that's probably that's the easiest thing you could tell me to do. God never tells us a sin. So watch this. When we sin, we are fulfilling a what? A desire or a lust in our life. Meaning it is what? Opposite from what God wants us. So when we sin, we're saying, God, right now in me sinning, I don't care what you have to say about it. Because I'm fulfilling what I desire, not fulfilling what you desire. Meaning what? I'm not worshiping you now, but I'm worshiping who? Me. Because I'm fulfilling what I want to do. Meaning I'm idolizing my desires and my wants over what you desire and over what you want. That's idolatry. What happens with the church is this. Idolatry is more than just an image that different religions bow down to and worship. When my friend who was a Buddhist, I used to go to his house. And his mom used to have little conference. I don't know what they were. Meditation conferences, meditation. I don't know. It was weird. And I would get scared. I would be in his room and I would hear, and I would hear a humming. I'm like, what is going on? And I'll never forget, I would have to go to the bathroom or something. And I would come outside and I just saw a little box. And supposedly in the box, the Buddha was there. And everyone was sitting a certain way, staring at the Buddha, meditating. And doing all these things. And there was like music, soft metal music. And I'm like, what are they doing? And I went back to the room and said, bro, what is your mom doing? And what are her friends doing? What's going on out there? They're staring at a box and they're humming and there's music. And then he goes, my mom's Buddhist. And I said, oh. So this is, I was young and I said, so what's in the box? Well, Buddha's in the box. And they're praying and meditating to Buddha. And he started to explain to me the whole Buddhist religion and traditions. And I said, and people are having difficulty believing in God. And believing in Jesus. But they could meditate before a box and a golden guy with a big belly and put certain things and hum certain things. And they're having problems believing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and he died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day he resurrected so that you don't have to die. But that you can be raised up in the same power because the same spirit that raised up Christ will raise up you. You can't believe that. But you could get in front of a box and... I don't get it. I don't get it. You see... What happens is it puts us in a dangerous place. It best meets, best meets my need. As long as I do this or I follow this, I can still do this. 
we lift up ourselves, we elevate ourselves, and we begin to commit sin, and we begin to idolize ourselves and our own sin and our own lives and our own desires, and we forget to learn from Jesus, our number one example. Let's talk about Jesus a little bit. In Luke chapter 2, it describes Jesus. He's 12 years old. Everyone, please say this with me. 12. That's a little number. He's not 22. He's not 32. And he's not 52. He is 12 years old. Scripture says that as his mom and dad were going back to their land, as they were on the way, they realized that the son Jesus was not with them. Mary and Papa left without their son. I have an awesome story with time I would tell you about one time when my parents went out and I got left in the house all by myself, chained up. My dad's walking out now. He doesn't want to get blamed. But I was all in my house and they realized, where is Regal? And they had to fly back and I was inside the house crying because everyone left me and they forgot about me. And I got locked into my house and they finally had to open up the gates and let me free. And it was a mess as a little kid crying because Regal, my family was out partying and Regal stayed in the house by himself, ready to burn down the house all by himself. Well, here's Jesus. He's in the house of God. He's in the temple. And his family's like, where did our son go? How old was he? 12 years old. Now watch this. In the temple and the scholars in the temple were amazed because of the knowledge and the wisdom that Jesus had. He left mom. He left dad. He left his whole family. And catch this. What brought the best out of Jesus was not anything that stimulated him in the flesh. Was not anything that stimulated his eyes. What brought the best out of Jesus was that he was doing the father's business. That's what brought the best. Let's look at our generation now. It wasn't the Facebook or the Twitter statuses. It wasn't the television system and its shows. It wasn't the computer and the internet and the billions of accessible information that's on it. He wasn't concerned about anything else but then the father's business. And today I'm going to ask you this question, ready? Do you need deliverance in your lives and in your life? And if you do, I'm going to ask you this. What brings the best out of you? Does gossip bring the best out of you? Does sin and fornication bring the best out of you? When you're in front of your computer for hours and the word of God is sitting right on top of the shelf and it's just telling you, read me, read me, but no, I'm in front of my computer. Is that what's bringing the best out of you? You see, when we study the life of Jesus, what brought the best out of Jesus was the Father's business. See, Scripture says all over Scripture, and we see it, that we're not to walk in the flesh. The Bible says, and we talked about it last week, that we don't walk by the flesh. We walk by faith and not by sight. What does that mean? We walk in the spiritual and not in the what? In the flesh. We walk in the spiritual and not in carnality. We are to feed the spirit man and starve the carnal man to death. I had a student the other day ask me, Mr. F, I'm just struggling with sin. It's like I want to do good, but I continue to do drugs. And I continue to have sex. And I said, young man, I want you to look at it like this. You got two dogs in a cage. And you've heard this analogy. You feed one dog more than you feed the other dog. And it's time to put two dogs together to fight. 
Who do you think is going to win? He obviously says, well, the dog that you fed, the other one's malnourished. He's not going to be able to fight. One bite is going to kill him. And he says, you're right. The heavier dog, the huskier dog, the nutritionist dog, the dog that has been filled with food, he's going to beat the other dog. I go, it's the same thing. You have your flesh and you have your spirit. The animal that you feed the most will always overcome the one that you feed the least. Don't think just because it's spiritual, it's greater than your physical. And that's what happens with the church. We get spiritual when the spiritual bell rings. But when it's carnality and flesh all the other days of our lives, man, that flesh overpowers anything in our lives that's spiritual. Amen? And it doesn't work that way. When we look at our lives, we have a fleshful life, a carnal life, and we have a spiritual life, a spirit being. And we need to feed the spiritual man so that the spiritual man could destroy the carnal man. And the Lord spoke to me last night, and as I was getting ready to talk about the lust of the flesh, he started to bring to my remembrance what is going on here in the church. And I'm not just talking about new life, but in the church in general. And the church has become very humanistic, almost to the point that they've twisted what secular humanism is. And the truth is, here in new life and churches all over, we need to destroy secular humanism. Because when we lust over our eyes with our eyes, it is so easy to become carnal Christians. <clears throat> it's so easy to have the goodness of God and to desire the goodness of God while living in the flesh. And that does not go together. All over scripture... Forgive me, guys. All over Scripture, Jesus tells us and the Lord tells us and Scripture tells us to choose whom we will serve, the flesh life or the spirit life. And we need to destroy the secular humanism that's in the church these days. The church needs to be delivered from the carnal mindset and from the eyes of this world. Secular humanism, number one, know this, it is nothing but atheists. There are atheists and it has to do with nothing but atheist ideology. They don't believe that the God, who is the source and the creator of the universe, they don't believe in the God. And we as Christians believe in the God. Secular humanists, philosophically, they are naturalists. They believe that nature is all that exists. That the universe is all that ever is or ever will be. That the material world is all that exists. That is absolutely wrong. And in the church, we have nothing but Christians speaking about fleshful and carnal things. And God is like, what are you doing in the house of the Lord? What are you doing to this temple? When you read Psalms chapter 50, it says that the Lord, everything belongs to the Lord. Everything is God's and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything belongs to God. He is our God. And our eyes need to be fixed on him. Destroy the lust of the flesh. Because the lust of the flesh will cause you to begin to live with a humanistic worldview. And it will destroy the spiritual man inside of you. Secular humanism has sneaked into the church. It is destroying the image, the power, and the truth that the church is to demonstrate. The lust of the eyes. We need to change how we look at things as the church. And if you call yourself today the beloved, 
then you, we, then you and I need to know that we cannot live happy and functional lives without the Christ. We are not capable of being ethical, moral, or just plain good without God. That's scripture. No man is good, for we all fall short. The modern church has taken a different twist. They've lowered their standards, and this is the excuse that they've made. Ready? Quote, unquote, so we can win some. And that is nothing but an excuse to be worldly. And I'm going to speak to some of you guys today, and that's fine. If you want to get hurt and you want to get bothered, I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. You are not a Christian that acts worldly, so quote, unquote, you can win some. That does not make sense. And this is what the Lord put in my heart. There should be nothing in us that has a humanist worldview, especially that of a secular humanist. If we, what we are watching is ungodly and unbiblical, guess what, church? Turn it off. Because there's no biblical worldview that will give you, that will give you the right or give you the reasoning to follow in that pattern. If you're hearing what you're hearing is ungodly and unbiblical, guess what? Shut it off. Because in this book, it's not going to say, well, do it just so you can win some. It's not going to happen. If where you're standing, it's ungodly and unbiblical, guess what? Run out. Run out. Because nowhere in this Bible will it ever give you the excuse so you can win some. One of the sisters in the church, the Lord is ministering and changing her life radically. And I said, you know what you're going to have to do? Your job keeps bringing you down. Now, I want you to understand the faith you need to have. To put food on the table, you need to work. And I said, you might have to quit your job. And she says, I know. The next day, Monday came. She quit her job. The next day, the Lord gave her three interviews. And today, she's working right around the corner. Why is that? I I want you to understand this. You could have justified. You could have said, but I need food on the table. But God really is not going to provide. How do I know I'm not going to? Listen to me. If where you are at is ungodly and it's not according to the word of God, it is not from God, it is not of the God. So get out of that because the Lord will not bless it. Lust of the eyes, when we begin to lust over our eyes, we begin to change our mindset and we begin to excuse ourselves and justify ourselves. And when we study what Jesus Christ and what the apostles did, they never compromised his gospel. Never did the apostles compromise their gospel. But instead they were tortured and they were killed for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they represented it. And what do you represent? Are you being persecuted for that which you represent today? In Acts chapter 4... Peter and John were thrown into jail. Now catch this. They were arrested and they were thrown in front of the Sanhedrin. Religious men ready to throw them into prison. And look what the religious men said. Peter, John, I want you to stop preaching Jesus. What did they tell them? Compromise to us. Compromise to us and stop preaching Jesus. And look what Peter tells them back. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than to God you judge. And Peter says, for we cannot do anything else but speak of the things which we have heard 
and what we have seen. What are you trying to say? There is no compromising when it comes to living for this book. There is no bending when it comes to calling ourselves a Christian. A lot of times why people are bound and they're not delivered and they continue to come to altar call week after week after week after week after week after week after week and a year goes by and they're still the same person. It's because they have not ran out, shut off, turned off, got out. They've continued to live godly and live in sin so that they could say, well, someone needs to do it. Someone, we can't be too holy. How many of you have heard that excuse? You can't be too holy. Don't be too radical. Why not? God was so radical and so holy that he put himself on the cross. Why can't you be so holy and so radical? Get that judgmental thing. And if someone from this church is judging you because you're too holy or too radical, man, just give them a holy slap and say, no, brother. (laughs) This is what you're calling me to be. This is what God is calling me to be. Notice that Jesus, everything is about Jesus. How many of you could say amen to that? But when he walked on this earth, he lived as if nothing was about him. Everything's about Jesus. But when he walked on the earth, he lived his life as if nothing was about him. He washed other people's feet. He slept on and put his head on a rock. Nothing was about Jesus. That's how he made it look when he lived. See, when we live our lives... We need to understand that Jesus is to be more than just idolized, more than just worshipped, more than just praised. And yet we look at the life of Jesus and he didn't make himself on earth to be an idol. And we need to be delivered because as we sin, we are fulfilling our sinful appetite. And as we fulfill our sinful appetite, we're placing ourselves higher and we're then falling short to fulfilling God's will. And that is leaving us with one conclusion. And here it is, us sinning is us idolizing self. And Jesus says, I'm the perfect example that when I walked on earth, I never walked about self. I always walked because it was about who? You. So if Jesus lived this life for you, we live our lives for him. You see, we struggle, but we need to get out of it. I want you to turn really quick to Exodus chapter 32, and I want to describe one of the most known people for falling into these sins. In Exodus chapter 2, it talks about the children of Israel. I'm going to read two verses, summarize the rest, and I'm going to start off in verse 1 really quick. And then I'm going to go to verse 6. Exodus 32, verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron, and look what they said to Aaron. Come, make us gods that we shall go before us, that they shall go before us. From this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now I want you to don't miss this now. Moses is out spending time with God. Moses is getting the laws of God. Moses is getting the instructions of God. The earth is trembled. The smoke has covered. The mountain has quaked. And here are the children of Israel telling the second man in charge, Aaron, Moses left. What the heck happened to him? Make us a God. 
See, when you study the children of Israel, they were scared to go to the presence of God. So they grabbed Moses and they said, Moses, you go speak to God for us. You be the ambassador. And then you come back and you tell us what God said. But don't ask us to go speak to God. That's too much to ask of us. You know how many people do that? Even today still? And I'm going to break that down. Look at verse 6 before we get into that. Verse 6 says, then they rose up early on the next day. They offered up burnt offerings because Aaron built a golden cow right here before them. Now watch this. And they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink. And they rose up to play. When you grab that word play in the Hebrew, that word means to mock. They began to mock the true and living God. And they began to worship a golden image. Now, when we look at the children of Israel, they were scared to visit God. Moses was their spokesperson. Moses, you tell us what God says. What do we learn from this? They never dealt with their relationship with the Lord. The children of Israel's relationship with God always laid on a man. You know how many people go to churches all over the world, worldwide, and their relationship, it lays on their pastor. It lays on their leader. It lays on the friend that invited them. And if you are coming over here and your relationship with God is only on Sunday mornings, I'm going to tell you this with our love and please come back next Sunday. Ready? You don't have a relationship with God. And the children of Israel, they were focused on Moses. Where's Moses? Who cares about Moses? Worship God anyways. But they began to build another God. And they began to worship this God. Why? It wasn't enough for them. You see, no God, Moses will do fine. How many of us say, well, I don't really need to worship. I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to study the Bible. I don't really need to go to Sundays that often. I don't really need to be faithful. That's the wrong mindset. What affected the children of Israel? Their eyesight, the lust of the flesh. Catch this. They were under Egyptian rule for many years. And the only thing that the Egyptian rulers taught them was to what? Make everything a god. If it rains, make a rain god. If the sun comes out, there's a sun god. If there's sand on the floor, make a sand god. If there's wood, make a wood god. My goodness, for every little thing, the Egyptians had gods for everything. If you say, God bless you, which god? You couldn't just say, God bless you, in Egypt. God's everywhere for every little thing. So here are the children of Israel, freed from bondage. They're in the middle of the wilderness. Man, God is giving them manna in the morning. By night, fire hovering over them. And watch this. The man that was more than enough for them disappears. And they began to worship another God. Why? Because that's all they knew. What happens? Because when you live in bondage and you live to the lust of the eyes... The lust of the eyes and what it sees and what it's accustomed to will feed into the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh will continue to act out and manifest what it's accustomed to acting out and manifesting. So if your eyes, when you're lonely, are used to turning on channels that are not appropriate, your flesh will begin to act out what your eyes are looking at and you will continue to be bound to that sin. If you're married... And you continue when you're not next to your wife looking at another woman that walks by and more than just saying, you know, she was a very pretty lady. But it becomes, you know what, she was a very whatever lady. Eventually, the lust of the eyes 
will begin to manifest in the lust of the flesh, and you will see yourself falling to that sin. And this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel, church. Don't miss the, don't miss the steps. What they were used to seeing in the Old Testament, what they were used to seeing in Egypt, in the wilderness, they saw it again, and their flesh, what, made it come to pass. Why? Because that's all they knew. That's all they were bound to. That's exactly what I want to tell you today. Destroy the lust of the flesh because you're, of your eyes because the flesh will begin to walk into that which you're coveting over. Very, very important. Very, very important that we understand that. They tell Aaron, we don't know what has become of this man. Who cares? We need to get our eyes checked. That's what Aaron should have said. Who cares where Moses is? The point is, where is God in your life? If we stop preaching the word of God here, will you still be running to the word of God in your own time? You know, there was a time when there was no widespread revelation scripture talks about. There was a dark time when there was no scripture, no men of God, no one was preaching the word of God. But there was a people that were preserved and they were continuing to go to the laws and to the things of God. What would you do if we were to live in that time again? They made of God. And this is what I want to talk about today and I'm going to end soon. They made a God, but just because they made a God, it doesn't mean that it was the God. See, when we don't know God and our faith is determined by an individual or a corporation or anything else, we will easily fall into making a God in our lives. And as long as it is not the God, then it is idolatry. How many of you could say amen to that? It doesn't matter if the thing looks good, if it smells good, if it feels good. If it tastes good, catch this, if it's multiplying, if it's prosperous, if it's popular, if it's working, if it is not the God, then you've made it a God, and that is idolatry. Lust of the eyes to be careful because it could cause us to make a God, making ourselves think that we're doing it for the God. I've seen people put their spouses as a God, careers as a God. I've seen people put hobbies as a God, children as a God. And all you do when you put children as a God, you're raising that child to be an idolater just like you. You guys are catching that? Teaching them to put God first. I've seen people put churches and ministries as a God, all under the name of the God. And we need to get this, that deliverance from the lust of the flesh, from the lustful lens to an eyesight that is set on God and his holiness I want you to turn, and it's going to come up on the screen, Psalms chapter 121. In Psalms 121, this is David speaking. And as David speaks, look what David writes. It's later on in his life. And David realizes the spiritual battles, and I'm going to end in two minutes. And David, who, who sent over Bathsheba years Look what he writes. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. What does David realize here? My deliverance is found in Jesus. And church, if we continue to keep our eyes on the Lord, we will be able to fight and be victorious to the end. Bondage is placed upon us because we commit ourselves to looking at something to the point that the temptation of that becomes a desire. And that desire becomes an, obs an obsession. So write this down. Desire 
becomes an obsession. And guess what happens? An obsession becomes a possession. Desire becomes an obsession. And an obsession becomes a possession. Because that which what we first saw then becomes that and what we live for. And we become obsessed, obsessed by it and we begin to possess that thing. So today I want you to examine your life today. And I want you to look at the deliverance in your life. And I want every single person, if you could just close your eyes. And we're going to get ready to worship God really quick and get going. And I'm going to give you one more verse before we go. If there is bondage in your life like we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And your eyes continue to look at sinful living, at sinful stuff. What you are looking at with your eyes will become your desire. And that desire will become your obsession. And that thing which you're obsessed with will become that thing that you possess. And you won't be satisfied, church, until you possess that ungodly thing. And the truth of the matter is that that desire, that obsession, and that possession causes you to sin. It causes you to be bound. And Luke 12, 15 says this. It says, take heed. Beware of the lust of the eyes. Beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. As you have your eyes closed today, maybe there are things in your life, maybe there's a lifestyle, maybe there's an individual. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's anything that the enemy continues to place in your life. But you're here this afternoon and you're saying, I just need help. I need God to change my life. Well, I'm going to ask you one question as your eyes are closed and you meditate on your heart. What are the things that you're looking into? What are they? What do you desire? What are you obsessed over? What is the thing that you will not be satisfied until you get a hold of it? See, Jesus, it was nothing else but the Father's business and the Father's will. And I pray that as you're here today, that you will let go, like Jared said earlier, of all the junk in your life so that you can grab on to the blessings of God. God wants to free your eyes from always looking into the things that are ungodly. I'll never forget a dinner that I had with a group of so-called Christians. And everything on that dinner table, from what was placed on that dinner table, from the conversations that were being spoken about on that dinner table, I mean, there were brothers and sisters, so-called brothers and sisters in the Lord. But all they were talking about was lust. 
was filth, was sin. And they were justifying their godly lifestyle in order to speak about such filth. And I'll never forget leaving there one day with my wife and saying, the heck just took place here. And the Lord put it in my heart, there are so many Christians, so many that say they know me. But their eyes are so caught up in the things of this world, in the loss of this world, that they're missing out on the things that I have for them. All in the name so that I could win some. They are so secular. They are so fleshly. So worried about feeding their fleshful life that they forget about their spiritual life. And they're missing out on my blessing. As we get ready to close in song. I just want to do this today. If today... You need a change in your life. And we're going to close and pray. But you need God to do a miracle in your life. Because everything that you're looking at, nothing is godly. Everything is polluted. Everything is destruction. As we get ready to worship real quick, I'm going to ask you to come up here. I want to pray with you and believe that the Lord will deliver you from the lust of the eyes. And that you will covet not one thing that is ungodly. But that this afternoon you will be set free and you will walk free with the eyes of Christ on.